read a passage that is um, familiar to everyone. And I'm going to say more about that in a second, but a passage that is literally familiar to just about everyone. I want to read today from the Gospel according to St. Luke, Luke chapter 15, Luke 15, <clears throat> verses 11 through 24. Luke 15, 11 through 24. We believe that this is God's holy word. We believe that it is life. We believe that it is light. We believe that it is authority. And we believe that God's word is inspired by his Holy Spirit. Will you please stand as we share it together? Beginning with verse 11, Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father said to him, saw him and was filled with compassion and ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then he said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. And this is God's word for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, this has been called the greatest story in the world. This is a universal story. People in the church are familiar with it, and people who are outside the church are familiar with it. People who are on the periphery, you know, the Christmas and Easter folks, everybody's familiar, it seems, with the story of the prodigal son. In fact, when you use the term prodigal, people know what you're talking about. Now, when Jesus wanted to make a significant point, when, when Jesus wanted to teach something of great significance or share a profound lesson... When Jesus wanted to teach his people something about God, he told stories. We call those stories parables. A parable is a story meant to have a larger spiritual meaning to it. Jesus would tell stories. The crowds would gather, and Jesus would tell a story, 
and very often he wouldn't bother to explain it. He would just tell the story because Jesus understood that when you tell a story, people have a way of sort of finding themselves in the story. In other words, when you tell a story, there's something about it with which people can sort of resonate and say, yeah, yeah, I I, I know what that's like. I've been there. Jesus was a master at doing that. He could tell a story and the people could resonate with it. Someone has said, the stories of Jesus are liquid, not solid, because they fit every container into which they're poured. When the story of the prodigal son is poured into me, it fits me. When the story of the prodigal son is poured into you, it fits you at various times in my life and at various times in your life. The stories of Jesus are liquid, not solid. They they fit all the containers into which they're poured. And of all the stories Jesus ever told, of all the great accounts he ever talked about, this is the one that seems to ring true in virtually every human experience. The story of the prodigal son. Now, the story of the prodigal son has three main characters, right? It has the father, it has the older son, and it has the younger son. Most often when, when, when we experience this story, either in a sermon or in a class or something like that, you hear about the younger brother. When, when preachers often preach, they'll tell you about that younger brother. And how all he ever wanted to do was party and have a good time, and then hard times hit. Almost always, that's how it goes. But today, I'd like to look at it through the lens of of the one I think is the main character. Because I think the main character in the story, the principal character, is the father. What did the father do in the response to his wayward child? The father represents God. The the younger son represents us. And the presenting question for you today is this. How did the father relate to the son who wanted to strike out on his own? How did the father relate to his son when his son wanted to be independent of him? How did the father relate to his boy? And what I'd like to do is I'd like to make three observations about the relationship between the father and the younger son. Three thoughts. Here's the first thought. He let him go. He let him go. And how incredibly hard that must have been. He knew his son wasn't ready to strike out. He knew his son wasn't wise enough to strike out on his own. He knew his son wasn't stable enough. His values weren't clear enough. But he let him go. And you'll recall that the son didn't just want to go. He wanted his share of the inheritance, didn't he? His share. 
He grew up on a big farm, a lot of property, same old, same old every day, feed the animals, do this, do that, big place to take care of, just going through the routine all the time, but now he wanted to go live. He wanted to go out and live and experience life, and so he wanted his share of the inheritance now. Now, according to the laws of the time, he was entitled to one-third of everything, of the inheritance. The older brother got two-thirds. The younger brother got one-third, but one-third of a lot is still a lot. Nonetheless, the father gave him his share of the inheritance, and he let him go. What do you think the father said to his son before he let him go? What, what, what do you think? I don't know. I, I, the Bible doesn't tell us what he, he said to him. Probably something like, son, um, be careful. Be very, very careful. Find a nice church in the city where you're going. It's important for you to find a nice church and, and make sure you watch out who you hang around with, son. The Bible doesn't tell us what the father said to him. What we do know is that letting them go is very hard, isn't it? I've got a son, 18 years old. The 20th of this month, he graduates. Whew. Faith and I have said it over and over and over. It was just yesterday, you know, right here, just yesterday. Letting them go is very difficult because sometimes parental love wants to hover. Sometimes parental love wants to helicopter and, and kind of control things. You know, when they're babies, when they're children, you guide them and you protect them. But then the time comes when, it's, when they want to go and often our tendency is to want to clutch and hang on for dear life and not release them. Dan Greenberg, some time ago, wrote a little piece entitled, How to Be a Jewish Mother. And he subtitled it, How to Worry and Control, How to Plant, Cultivate, and Harvest Guilt in Your Children. Great piece. In that, he, in that book, he, he, he said, often the Jewish mother's cardinal rule is this. Let your children hear you sigh several times every day. <sighs> if, you don't know, if you don't know what he's done to make you suffer, he will. <laughs> and he'll think of something that he must have done, how to make your children feel guilty. The prodigal son's father chose an entirely different approach his love was brave enough and trusting enough and wise enough to let his boy go but don't you think for a minute that was easy I guess his approach was sort of like the words on the plaque you know you've read those words if you love something set it free if it returns it's yours and if it doesn't it never was 
And that is what God has done with you and me. I said, that's what God has done with you and me, isn't it? He has let us go. When you decided that church wasn't important, he let you go. When you decided that that you could worship as well on the golf course or out on the boat or doing this, this, when you made those decisions, he let you go. When you decided that you wanted to live life by your own standards, he let you go and he let you play by your own rules because nobody's going to tell me how to live. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. When we do that, God lets us go because you see, that's how God chooses to love us. He lets us go. Here's my second observation. Not only does God let us go, He lets us stay. When we get into the far country, and you can fill in the blank with whatever that is, When we get into the far country and our lives sink into the quagmire, God sends no care packages. Say, Pastor, you're being awful harsh about this. Well, hang with me for just a few minutes, okay? When God lets us go, He lets us stay. And when our lives begin to sink, He doesn't send a care package. Here's how I see it happening in the story of the prodigal son. A little bit more modern understanding of it. A college student returns home for a weekend with his parents. And he runs into that boy's father. You know, the one that's run away, that's done his thing. He runs into that boy's father and he says, Oh, by the way... Sir, I saw your boy in the city. And the father's heart begins to pound inside him. And he's wondered, he's wanted to know, he's been afraid to know. And so he looks at this kid and he says, you did? You saw my son? Where'd you see him? What's he doing? What does he look like? And slowly the father begins to learn more than he wants to know. He learns how bad it really is. And the tears begin to well up in his father's eyes. But he doesn't go, he doesn't call, he doesn't write, and he doesn't send money. He lets the wilderness be the wilderness. It's really important for us to get that. The Father lets the wilderness be the wilderness. Speaking as a parent of three boys, it's been my experience that sometimes we parents don't want to do that with our children. Sometimes we want to build a safety net under them, don't we? 
Sometimes we don't want them, we don't, we, we don't ever want them to fall. We don't want them to get hurt. We don't want them to experience pain. We don't want them to experience the consequences of, of, of their choices. So we build a safety net under them. If you're following me this morning, say amen. amen. Okay, this is important because this is more than just about a father and his son. Sometimes we build a safety net under them, and in the process of doing that, what we do is guarantee that they stay in the far country. The father of the prodigal didn't do that. He let the wilderness be the wilderness. He let the far country be the far country. Not only did he let him go, he let him stay. And here's the point. God will not force you to do the right thing. God may very well not rescue you from the difficulty. God may very well not rescue you from the choices at your own hands because very often, very often, the only thing that brings positive change is pain. But God never wastes pain. I said, God never wastes pain. What does he do with it? He redeems it for our good. So, <laughs> where is the father while the son is out there? He's in the waiting room. The toughest place to love is from the waiting room, isn't it? Any parents in here know what I'm talking about? The toughest place to love is from the waiting room. I, I, I see this old man every night kneeling beside his bed. Any parents in here ever knelt down and just prayed your heart out for your kid? I see this old man kneeling beside his bed and saying, Lord, please take care of my boy. I don't know exactly where he is, and I don't know what he's doing, but I love him, Lord, and you know that. And, and I'm asking you, please, please, Lord, please protect him. Please bring him home. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The hardest love you will ever do is loving from the waiting room where it's out of your hands, where it's in someone else's hands, where you have no control. There's nothing you can do. The hardest love you will ever do is from the waiting room. And friends, 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 God has chosen to love you and me from the waiting room. Do you hear that today? He doesn't have to do that. God could force us. He chooses not to do that. He chooses to let us go and he chooses to let us stay for as long as we choose to stay in the far country. 
Here's my final observation. God lets us go, and he lets us stay. (laughs) But he welcomes us home with unconditional love. That's good, good stuff there. Anybody ever been welcomed home unconditionally with love? Oh, I know you have. Listen, please. The the fact that the father chooses to let his son go and the fact that the father lets his son stay in the far country is not an indication of a lack of love. No, it's a sign of wisdom and the understanding that when the child chooses himself or herself, when the child chooses to return home, then they'll be home. The scripture says that when the boy was still a long way off, which means the father had been standing out on the front porch maybe day after day, looking down the the road, day after day just looking down that road, And then he, he sees a figure, the father does. He sees, he sees a figure and he, he wipes his eyes and he, he strains his eyes and he sees that figure way off and there's something about that walk. Any parents in here know what I mean? Something about that walk? <laughs> there's something about that walk, there's something about that build that looks awfully familiar and his heart starts to beat fast. And then he sees it. It's his boy. And his boy's coming home. What does the father do when he sees the boy? You know what I'd do? I'd tell you what I'd do. I'd fold my arms. And I'd pat my foot. And I'd say, I told you so. I told you so. At least I'd say, I told you so. What does that father do? Now, if you know anything at all about Jewish life, you know that it was beneath the dignity of a father to run. That was was beneath their dignity. What did that father do? It says that while he, the boy, was still a long way off, the father did what? He ran. (laughs) He ran. And the son had prepared a speech, hadn't he? Remember the speech? He prepared it while he was in the far country. It goes something like this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please treat me as one of your hired servants. That was his speech, right? So the father's running. The father's running. He throws his arms around his boy, and he kisses him, and he hugs him, and The boy stands back and pulls out his speech and unfolds it and says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And the father says, stop. Just stop. Just stop it. Give me that dadgum speech. And he takes it and he wads it up and he throws it down. 
And he says, Hey, everyone, it's time for a party. So let's pull up the cane bottom chairs and let's make some homemade ice cream and let's cut some watermelon and let's do let's have a big old barbecue and this because this my son was what he was lost and he is found that is how heaven reacts to you You ever wondered what God is like? I mean, is he really that big celestial policeman, policeman saying, "You, I told you you were going to do that? No, 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 no. Jesus said this is how God is. It's time for a party. And the scripture says, the angels in heaven rejoice. That's good news. Amen? Oh, my goodness. That's great news, friends. It's good news to know that the Father will welcome you home and you don't have to justify how stupid you have been. (laughs) And you don't have to justify all the dumb choices you have made because the Father does the same thing the Father did. He takes the speech and he says, Please, I want you to know today There is nothing you can ever do that gets you outside of God's love. Oh, parents in the room, what exactly would your child have to do to get you to stop loving them? Same is true with God. There's nothing that you could ever do that would cause him to say, I'm done with you. And so to all the prodigals in the room, And to all of us who have been or will be prodigals, I want you to know the news is good. You don't have to justify your dumb choices. God will welcome you home. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's children said, Amen. We're going to receive home.